Hello, my name is David. This is the Hypothetic RL, a podcast about the what ifs of rugby league history. Joining me on the line is Elliot, who is the one-eyed eel um, and the um, guy behind Rugby League Monthly. How are you going, Elliot? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. That's okay. Look, you're more qualified to be an Eels fan than I am, um, <laughs> but we, we're we going to do an Eels topic, and I know everyone's groaning in the background who aren't Eels fans, but um, it's probably one of, you know, for, for an Eels fan, it's probably one of the the worst seasons in history, and we're going to just go through it, um, heaps more pain on ourselves, and, and talk about what might have happened if it wasn't so bad. Um, so the season we're talking about is the 2016 season. Um, I wanted to, before we go too much further, I wanted to sort of start us back just after grand final 2009. Um, in terms of the grand final, the 2009 grand final, um, what are your kind of memories of, of that, of that game and that sort of aftermath and what, what happened with the team? Uh, pain, a lot of pain. Um, I was unfortunately sitting in a, a apartment in Canberra um, because my uh, my mum wanted to go down to see something at the National Gallery and Dad and I, middle of the season, went, ah, we're, we're 12th or 13th, Let, we'll go down weekend to the grand final. Yeah. Um, and then we made the grand final. So we got to watch it <laughs> uh, on TV, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, and then watch us get beaten. But um, I think there was a lot of, after the grand final, kind of a lot of, there's a lot of optimism around Parramatta. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that unfortunately undermined um, the, the, the following couple of seasons because I think they invested in some some players that perhaps um, they, they they shouldn't have. I mean, you know, Daniel Mortimer was a fine, fine half, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he ended up kind of being more of a, a role player. You know, he went to the Roosters, won a comp with the Roosters, but he did that as a bench player. Yeah. Um, he probably wasn't the the halfback to lead us around. And, and Jeff Robson was a, a very good competitor and probably, you know, a very professional player. Um, he ended up coming back to us. Um, yeah, 2016. After, so that'll yeah. be, we'll be talking about him later yeah. as well. You know, and, and you know, you couldn't, you know, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about him. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you, you've got the the retirement of Nathan Kalis in 2010, yep. um, which kind of created a bit of a leadership void. He'd been the only um, captain we'd had for, I think, over a decade, I think 1989 or yeah, 2000, sure. he was yeah. named captain. Um, and whilst you had Nathan Hindmarsh and Luke Burt, neither of them had a lot of captaincy experience. And then Hindmarsh had been our vice captain for a, you know, a, a big chunk of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously you had he and Burt retire in 2012. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I think that the, the grand final that we made perhaps papered over some cracks because Jared was just Jared. You know, it was unbelievable that season. It's the, the best individual season I've seen from a player bar none. Um, yeah, it, it was... The funny thing about that season, like you said, paper over cracks, and I think it was the false dawn. It was, you know, we all thought, oh, we came so close, we'll go one better next time. And it wasn't... The one thing that I always get annoyed with is... So, I mean, you watch that season. I, I went to all the home games, um, and, you know, when, when we were playing poorly and we were, you know, really, really, really bad, and... There was one particular game where we played it like a wet weather game against Cronulla. Who was, was I was at that game too. Yeah, and, and that game was one of the worst games of football I think I've ever seen. It was both sides just it was terrible, shocking. It was it was whoever was 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 going to be slightly less worse than the other was going to win. Yeah, and the, and the thing is that we lost. 
we lost yeah. against that team. And it was they like... They lost 14 in a row or something. Yeah. And and the stupid thing about that is that, okay, they lost. And I, I've heard them talk about afterwards that after that loss, they they all went to like Hindy's for the pizza night or something and the and the honesty session and you know, all that garbage they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they basically, they said, oh, and we decided we'd just go out there and just play footy. And and they did that. And the thing is, I know, I know what you're saying, well, Kane had a great season, but it wasn't just him who had a great who great had a great second half of that season because he was terrible in that game as well like you know it wasn't like mm-hmm. he had a brilliant season and and he just sort of propped everyone up it was everyone just decided to just play a bit of footy because what they did in that game against Cronulla is it was like the four drives and or five drives and kick it was like trying mm-hmm. to play territory they were trying to play like you know, like St. George went on to play in 2010 and like a lot of those, or the, or the Melbourne teams had played just previously. Like they were trying to play um, field position and, and like bash the opponent and try and force mistakes. And and we just weren't that same sort of team. So, you know, it to me, the thing that, that really sticks out is that like 2009, they just went, oh, stuff whatever anyone says, we're just going to start offloading the ball, throwing the ball around. And that's what they did. They just threw the ball around like crazy. The passes started sticking after after a few weeks of not such great results. The passes started sticking, and they went on that run, and then the confidence was high. But the thing is that they went all the way to the grand final and didn't win it. But for me, it sort of points to the fact that when they came back, back out in 2010, they didn't look at what was working for them and try and work to it again. They went back to what they had. Like they were, I think... I don't know if it's always my thought that they were scared that the reason they lost to Melbourne is because they tried to play too flamboyantly and they should go back to the style that, you know, of the kind of more conservative style. And 2010 just proved that, you know, it was a flash in the pan thing and that we just weren't, we weren't going to be able to to, um, to sort of just beat teams by, by overpowering them or anything like that. We're never going to be that side. And it was very frustrating at the time. And then, you know, obviously Daniel Anderson loses his job and, I mean, a lot of people at the time are like, well, you know, why are you sacking him? He got you a grandfather the year before. And I think one of the reasons why he did get sacked, and obviously there's other reasons, that I, I'm fairly sure I'm correct in him being quoted as saying he didn't know why they did so well in 2009 and why they're not doing well in 2010. And if you're the coach, you should kind of know why it's happening. Like he, I can't remember the exact quote, but I know he said something along the lines of, Oh, I, I can't tell you why we were better last year, sort of thing. It's like, well, dude, you should know. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, for for two thousand nine was just uh, I saw it very much as just it was just a surprise for everyone that everything clicked. You know, um, I think twenty ten was a bit of a combination of they weren't quite sure that would work again. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of teams got wise to it as well. Yeah, you lock the ball up with Parramatta; they don't have much more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know we didn't really then have a have a second plan, but I still thought Daniel Anderson was was a bit hard done by to be sacked, particularly when it was reported that um, I'm pretty sure this is in Nathan Hindmarsh's book, and I apologise if this is incorrect, but um, the the board spoke to uh, Hindmarsh, uh, Kalis, and Burt uh, at the time Kalis hadn't, hadn't announced his retirement mm. um, about who they would want as coach for 2011, you know, they got the input of the senior players and they all backed Daniel Anderson. And then shortly after the board said, yes, okay, they sacked him. Um, and that kind of started a real downward spiral. You know, once you get the senior players offside, mm-hmm. um, doesn't really, you know, I don't think it, I don't think they, they disliked Stephen Kearney, but, you know, they went from a coach that many of them, you know, 
a lot of those those guys at Parramatta knew Daniel Anderson from when they were teenagers and in their early 20s because he was at the club then. Yeah. Um, he was a development coach for them. And so, you know, you take that bloke away and you put in someone else who's from outside the system um, and then tries to kind of transplant what he's seen as an assistant under Craig Bellamy yeah. into a club that doesn't play like that. Um, you, you ended up with the result that you had, which was, you know, 2011 and 2012 were just absolutely pathetic seasons. Well, that's um, right. Only and only, yeah. only, then supplanted by Ricky Stewart's very ill-fated <laughs> attempt at yes. coaching us. Yes. Well, uh, before we go too much further into those two, I just wanted to say um, back on back on the whole thing about um, 2010, and it kind of leads to the, to the Stephen Carney thing as well, is that obviously, you know, 2010, Melbourne Storm were found to, to breach the salary cap. Um, and and the in the way that they did it, and it's going to lead us to what we talk about later in 2016. But that happening then, and then also us appointing the assistant Storm coach, just feels like this period between the end of 2009, when the Storm beat us in that grand final, right through till probably under 2013-14, is that we were trying to to emulate what they did. Um, that we were trying to, obviously we saw that they were successful and we just thought, well, rather than creating our own culture and being the best we can be, let's just hire the Storm assistant as our coach and let's try the same tactics the Storm tried and we'll try and get away with it. You know what I mean? It was just some of the ridiculous yeah. things that they tried to do. Um, it just feels like if if the Storm didn't do what they did in 2010, then maybe we don't do what we do in 2016. I'm not sure. But it feels like it could be. Yeah, I mean, as a lot of people reported at the time of, of our own breach in 2016, and when Melbourne got popped, and other other clubs have been popped since, haven't quite been punished the way us and, and to an even greater extent Melbourne were. Mm-hmm. Um, every team tries to play with the third party agreements. You know, um, that they all look for that that edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, throughout the 2000s and the late 90s, there was always the the talk about Brisbane. Uh, you know, their thoroughbreds club. Uh, you know, how can they possibly afford half the Queensland side and a good chunk of the Australian side to be under the cap, you know? So um, I think we were trying to do what the successful clubs do. We just did it incredibly badly and managed to do the really basic thing wrong of stick everything on the record, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which which came out in the reporting. That's right. So, I mean, going forward, you you mentioned, you know, Stephen Carney's reign. Did we win... Three or four games or something in in forty. I don't know how many we won. It wasn't many. Uh, yeah, look, I think it was still better than the Bulldogs this season. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I remember the remember there being the season, and I actually remember um, when when I we used to go to the old Parramatta Stadium. Uh, me and my dad we used to go park in the in the hospital around the corner, um, mm-hmm. and used yep. to pay for the parking that five dollar parking. And I still remember like it was a, a nighttime game. We just played, and we'd obviously been beaten again because we lost everybody game. And we got in the car and I turned the radio and they said, oh, uh, things are heading up for you, Eels fans. Uh, Ricky Stewart has agreed to coach Parramatta for next season. Um, and I sort of looked at my dad and I went, I don't know about him. And he's like, oh, he's the New South Wales coach. He'll be, he'll be very good, I'm sure, and things like that. And then just, yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to, bra- I don't want to blame Ricky Stewart for 2016, but I think he plays a little bit part to it as well. Uh, he does. Uh, I think the Ricky Stewart... For one year, he did a lot of damage at the club. Mm. Um, you know, for me, the the biggest part was the the sacking of those twelve players because then you look at what happened after that, and that heavily contributes then to um, the the salary cap issues we have. Yep, um, yep definitely. Which which we'll, we'll get into. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing is that I've often pointed to people saying, well, you know, if you want to try and be competitive, and a lot of people make fun of Parramatta for breaching the salary cap and still, you know, coming near the bottom of the table. Um, and, you know, how can how can you breach a salary cap and, and be so unsuccessful? But the thing is that they were just trying to feel the team at some points, really. I mean, there was... If, if you're yeah. on the wrong side of the overhead projector, you still got paid out. It's not like... It's not like they all just terminate their contracts and we didn't have to no. pay them or anything. That's the difference whenever someone brings it up saying, oh, well, you just like the Storm. And well, the Storm paid a lot of that money to keep their best players. We were paying players not to play for us. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the that that's a big difference there. We were just trying to fill a squad, really, and, and which which is obviously the big difference. Melbourne were, were keeping together a premiership winning side and, and we were paying players to play at other clubs. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I don't have the list of the four team, but... You know, you can. We know roughly who they are, um, but yeah, it was it was a, just a strange day when when you hear about you know the coach sitting the sitting the players down and having like an overhead projector. And I always, whenever someone talks about Ricky Stewart and, and troubles with, with Canberra, I always like to mention the overhead, overhead oh, projector. Oh, I still do it too. <laughs> um, but like you know, it's it's 2013, mate. Like use a PowerPoint presentation or something. Like you don't have to use the overhead projector. Um, but yeah, it it really did hold them back. And then obviously, you know, after Ricky Stewart leaves, you know, Brad Arthur comes in, um, you know, and he basically has to clean up the mess of of trying to you know juggle this salary and uh, this salary cap. And I think that kind of gets us. I don't want to go through fourteen and fifteen. I think there's not much to be gained there. I mean, they played reasonably better. They were getting better. Um, well, well, fourteen. I think it was Brad Arthur's first year, and they finished equal eighth. Um, and, and we're finished outside the top eight and differential. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Jared leaves um, and he leaves it quite late in the year. I think he leaves it till October to announce he's gone, mm-hmm. um, which basically means we are left without a fullback and we have to kind of manufacture one for the 2015 season, which hurts us. And then uh, we get into 2016. Yep, yep, definitely. So 2016 is when you message me uh, is the shit show. And yes, <laughs> my God, is it a shit show? I remembered part of it, and then when we when I started to look it up, I thought, well, yeah, it becomes even more of a shit show as you as you keep going. Um, I just want to the one thing first thing I want to do is I just want to quickly have a um, we had a couple of articles that were from early in the season um, that were like season previews. Uh, I'm just trying to find them in front of this here. Uh, this might be the one I was looking at. So first one's a Daily Telegraph one, and it's about um, Clinton Gutherson goes from Brett Stewart's understay to wingman at New Club. So basically for 2016, we brought in, obviously, Clint Gutherson, the Manly junior, um, and he'd left he'd left Manly because they basically had... He'd actually re-signed with them for two more years, but then left because they didn't have room under their cap. Um, he knew Brad Arthur, obviously being, you know, from Manly originally, Brad. Um, so well, Brad was, I think Brad was only there for a year. Mm. So he, he was at Parramatta. Well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he started his coaching career in uh, uh, Bush footy and then yeah. went to uh, Melbourne, mm. then came to us and then was uh, caretaker coach for about half a dozen games when Kearney was sacked mm. and then spent 2013 at Manly before then coming back to Parramatta. That's right. That's right. So it just, it's just given... Um, so they talk about Clint Gutherson, and then while they're talking about that, they also mention Kieran Foran, Michael Jennings, Michael Gordon, Bo Scott, 
Um, you know, so they they went out there and they bought, and I think they bought well. Like it, I, I know that it all didn't work out in the end, but I think you know you get Kieran Foran, who's yeah you know, on form, excellent, an excellent half. Yeah. You get Michael Jennings, who's a you know a, a Premiership winner. Um, and you know an explosive center. You got Michael Gordon, who's a I mean handy back. Probably would have Michael Gordon about four years earlier, but still a handy player to to play in that fullback role that we've been looking for someone to play in for the last two years. And, and not just as a fullback, as a as a very well renowned goal kicker too. Yeah, exactly. And then you got both Scott to try and uh, enforce that pack because you know that pack was getting dominated. Um, so and, and there was quite a lot of inexperience there too. You you look at the ages there, and you had Manu Ma'u who. Uh, he was 28, but I think he'd only debuted a year or two earlier. Tebwa yeah. Moroa, who was 20. Mm-hmm. Um, Junior Paulo was 22. Kaiser Pritchard was 22. You know, so and Ter- Penny Terrapo was 24, had been in and out of the side a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Danny Wicks had just come back from um, from suspension and um, he's, he's stint in prison, so he'd been out of the game a while. Um, I really like the, the recruitment of, of Bo Scott. He's actually one of my favourite um, players we've recruited in the past few seasons, just the, the toughness um, that he brought brought to the game mm-hmm. that's right and then you've got you know we still had the good start like you said we still had the startings of of a good side so you still had a guy you know still quite a lot of guys in that team who were quite good um but i just thought it'd be interesting because just having with this article because they talk it's mainly about clint gutherson and and his whole thing about manly but just mentioning those guys as well and the, it looked like it was we were start finally starting to turn a corner and then like you said you know maybe not the best 2015 but you know, fourteen was was pretty good. We we bolstered from fifteen, and then look, it looked like we might be at, at you know absolute worst, like a on the edge of the eight. You know, we would be one of these teams that would be, you know, if we had a, a reasonable season, we'd be there. And if we, you know, we could maybe dare to dream a bit more. Um, and then I don't know which I don't know which one you want to go through first, Elliot. But um, should we do should we do all the different player ones or do you want to talk about the salary cap one first i mean i think we can start with the salary cap first because that kind of feeds into a lot of the players okay so basically what happened is and it sort of happened in that off season as well i remember there was there was some report that we might have been over the salary cap from from a previous season in maybe december of the year before maybe january there was there was definitely talk of it Mm. um and there was there was this kind of innuendo and, and, you know, like articles coming out, you know, throughout the sort of March and April and that sort of time saying, look, you know, the NRL is, is going to go back and investigate again. Um, if I'm correct, it was actually someone from like a, a disgruntled ex-employee who, who um, I, I think they actually reported them to like the Gaming Commission or something. Is that correct? From, uh, from from memory, yes, so it was a it was a whistleblower essentially. Um, and if you actually listen or, or look at what Todd Greenberg said at the time, um, and I'm pretty sure it hasn't changed, is the NRL basically relies on clubs self-reporting uh, salary cap breaches, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, it's like we're going to police you, but please report yourselves if you break the rules. It that sounds like that's not how you police a salary cap. That sounds like uh, a very, very limp way to do that because mm-hmm. pretty much every salary cap breach, Parramatta's, um, you have Cronulla's one most recently, you know, the the Warriors, you have the Bulldogs and, and Melbourne, mm-hmm. every single one of those was not from the salary cap auditor 
picking them up, they were all from disgruntled ex-employees who decided to to blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. And for Parramatta, I think I think they were reported to the Gaming Commission because uh, some of the payments that came under the table were linked to the Leagues Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore, it came under the purview of Clubs New South Wales. So, it became not only just a, an NRL issue, but a legal issue and a, and a, um, a governance issue. Yes, yes. And so... Look, I'm just reading. I'm, I'm looking at another article, which is around in that in that same sort of period and time uh, before they sort of handed down any punishment, and they were still looking at it. And it goes right back to 2014. So when we said we'll skip 2014-15, these what we were saying is correct. Is that basically they looked at their roster for 2014, thought, how can we possibly field a, a side that's competitive? Um, and a lot of this is also going to go back to to all that board fighting and all those people jockeying for positions in boards because what we all remember from that time period is every disgruntled, you know, um, uh, Parramatta fan or Parramatta um, member and all these what they call rebel tickets and everyone promising the world to us and everyone saying we're going to get Parramatta back to the glory days and, and all this sort of stuff like that. And then there was, there just seemed to be everyone just wanted to get themselves on the board. And then once they were on the board, they were scared that they were going to get, you know, dumped again if they didn't get the results. So you can understand the pressure that they were under. But, you know, they're talking about things like, you know, $600,000 and, and two cars as, as third-party agreements, you know, in 2014 in this article mm-hmm. I'm looking at. And, you know, like, what's your thoughts on... I mean, obviously, we're a bit more stable now. Um, but what's your thoughts on all those, those different... Rebel tickets and boards, if you if you can talk about that. Yeah, so I think um, you know a lot of it came out of two thousand and nine. So you had the Royce Bagnolo led ticket that that managed to unseat Dennis Fitzgerald, and Dennis had been there for forever. You know, as the Emperor of Parramatta. Hmm. Um, and obviously, when you remove someone of, of that uh, strength in that position, it creates a, a leadership vacuum, um, and then. You know, things kind of compound each other. You can almost look at what's happened to the Bulldogs recently, right? When when the club's going well, the leadership system Parramatta had kind of worked, right? Because no one's going to vote out a board if the team's winning. Um, the board stays silent. Nobody cares. The moment the side starts losing, the pressure comes onto the board, mm-hmm. um, which is what happened. You know, so 2009, they take over mid-season, which just ha- happens to coincide with us on the run to that grand final. Yeah. They kind of get a free ride through 2010 because hey, we're at the grand final last season. We didn't make the finals, but we weren't the worst team in the comp. We got, you know, some some decent pieces to work with. And then you have the Stephen Kearney years and then the Ricky Stewart years, mm-hmm. and that just slowly compounds itself. Um, and then while Spagnolo is in charge, you've got um, uh, some very well-credentialed uh, people also run for the board. They don't they don't win. And, um, you know, I, I was involved in, in, in a bit of that because um, – uh, one ideal, I wasn't the owner at the time, um, but I was on the site when when this was going on, and um, they there were there were more senior members. Some of them were, were members of the site, and they were running for the board. Um, and they, you know, they had very simple ideas. They wanted to see um, constitutional reform. They wanted to see the club run more professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that we have today because of of twenty sixteen. Um, Ironically, because of that debacle, we now have probably um, the best run club from a constitution standpoint um, in the game. If it's not privately owned, you know, there are privately owned clubs that don't have to deal with a lot of this stuff. But for those that are Leeds club owned, mm. we've got the most modern constitution 
in the game and it all stems from 2016. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, I suppose, because that's obviously happening in the background in 2016 as well. But um, the main event, you know, it had been talked about for quite a long time and it felt like, um, and I'm not sure whether, maybe I'm thinking as a Paramount fan, but it felt like they waited for so long because they, they almost wanted to wait long enough so that once the punishment was handed down, it would make it impossible for the Paramount Eels to be playing finals. Um, and I, I don't know if that's the case. It felt like it was. A lot of Paramount Eels fans got very angry at the time and also pointed the fact that Greenberg was a former CEO of Canterbury, who don't like Parramatta. Um, I don't think any of that came into the decision. But it was a, it was around May 3rd. So I found an article from May 3rd, and I'm pretty sure that was the day or maybe the day before, um, between rounds 9 and 10. And the punishment came down that we would be stripped of 12 competition points. Well, sorry, the Parramatta Eels. I shouldn't say we because I'm... I am a member, and tell you, but anyway, um, stripped of 12 competition points and fined, was it half a million dollars, I believe, um, and also not allowed to accrue any premiership points until we got underneath the salary cap for that year. So um, what was your thoughts originally? I mean, we all knew it was kind of happening because we'd heard the stories, but was there any shock in, in what the punishment was? Did you think we were going to get 12 points taken off us? Uh I, there was no shock, you know, that they'd set the, the bar when, when Melbourne got stripped of their points, mm. um, you know, and, and when the Bulldogs got stripped, they basically, they basically made it a, a fact that if you get busted over the salary cap, you get stripped of your points if you're not under the cap that season. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, it was gut wrenching to watch that happen, um, particularly after the start that we'd had. Yes. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not sure if the NRL delayed the the rollout of it, or if they wanted to make sure all their their T's were, were crossed and their eyes were dotted to make sure that we couldn't appeal it. I mean, you still had uh, board members at the time because don't forget that the board had got rolled between 2014 and and, and 2016. Yes. In 2015, the the Steve Sharp led board had had taken over and they had continued this um this this third party agreement system. Um, and, and they they all paid for it with their jobs, and, and a lot of them um, are either. Uh, I'm not sure if if there's there's some of them that are still for, forbidden from being able to hold a board position, mm-hmm. um, but you know th- they were removed by the the New South State State Government, the, the Office of Liquor Gaming and Racing, mm-hmm. um, and you know it impacted them. But uh, you know I wasn't surprised by the result. I was more I was more put off by some of the secrecy around the NRLs. Uh, investigation um it was it was revealed and and todd greenberg admitted that he sat down for scott seward with scott seward who was the club ceo at the time Mm. um and had an off-the-record conversation with him and we still don't know what that conversation was and what was revealed because um you know there were accusations that scott had asked todd about how do you work with the salary cap um how do you possibly get around it and Todd always maintained that he was just, you know, told him to stay within the salary cap. But uh, he's refused to actually say what he spoke to Scott about. And for me, um, this isn't just as a Parramatta fan. This is kind of like, you know, it, it doesn't th- – that to me doesn't sit right. The, 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 the CEO of the NRL sitting down with the CEO of a club that the NRL is investigating mm. that you have a personal relationship with yeah. and you don't then – publicly reveal what was said for me that that didn't sit right with me and it still doesn't mm-hmm. um because i know we're never actually going to hear what what occurred there um because it, it it's a it shines a whole different light if if todd did 
provide information of how to avoid the salary cap because then it calls the NRL's integrity into question. But yeah. we don't know that, um, and I'm not going to accuse the NRL of, of doing that. No, no, that's fair enough. And, and I mean, I, th- I suppose the, the interesting thing was, like you said, there was things like that. There was there was lots of unusual mutterings and rumours and you know, what, you know what things go like. I mean, this was a sensational thing in and obviously in that well, season. So there was a lot of leaks. That's mm. the other thing that annoyed me. It's right and a lot of it, you know, some of it came from Parramatta, but a lot of it came from the NRL and I didn't understand that. Um you're supposed to be conducting an investigation and you've got the salary cap auditor or the head of whatever unit they were calling it. Um, I think it was Jamie Loss Brown was the head of that investigation saying we don't comment on current investigations and then, you know, a few days later something will come out in the paper that you know, only could have come from the investigation itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you contrast that with the, the Cronulla investigation um, recently that seemed to be a lot more kind of they announced it. Uh, there was some speculation in the media and then they announced the the, the punishments and, and the fines and the like. Yeah. Um, following that, they seemed, they seemed to be a lot a lot smoother. Um, but, you know, maybe they learnt from the, the dealing with Parramatta. They probably went, that's probably not the right way to go about it. Yeah, I suppose it's interesting as well when you say learnt from it. So um, I've got a I've got another uh, like I said a bit of this research. So I've got another article. It's actually from the Daily Mail in the UK, um, and it's our old mate Brian Waldron. Um, and basically, Brian believed at the time this was on the third of May, same same day as as the other article. So must have been just after they had um, they had announced it, and that his quote is. How can they continue to play for points? Disgraced former Melbourne Storm boss dubbed the chief rat during the club's sorry salary cap scandal claims Parramatta Eels penalty is unfair. When you read the article, um, when when I first read it, I thought, well, oh, I don't really want Brian Waldron on our side. But he's actually what he's actually saying is um, that he thinks it was unfair that even Parramatta should be allowed to play for points for the rest of that season because Melbourne were never allowed to do it. But I think what that is is they're six years on from from Melbourne Storm. I look, I I know I know Parramatta cheated the salary cap, and we've all got to accept that. But I still, as a fan, don't think that the Parramatta salary cap cheating was as bad as what happened with Melbourne, and as systematic as what happened. Um, but look, fair enough. I suppose he pointed that point. You know, why are they allowed to accrue points at all? But I can understand exactly why they would do that because basically that 2010 season is is tainted by that. If you know what I mean, I mean obviously mm. Melbourne tainted five seasons before that with their with their cheating, but you know basically that period from 2006 to 2010 just feels like you know it feels like there's asterisks everywhere and crossed out names and it's just a shame that it happened. And maybe they thought to themselves, well, if we can give Parramatta a big enough penalty but still have some chance for them to make these finals, then at least, you know, like it's going to be a very outside chance, but at least then, you know, there, there's a chance that they can, their fans will still turn up and it's not going to be such well, such a shit show. But um, they still had to get themselves underneath the salary cap too. So, you know, it wasn't... This is what I want to say about the mutterings because there was a lot of talk from Parramatta fans at the time um, just after that saying... No, stuff them. We're going to keep playing. We don't care if you give us points or not. We're just going to keep playing. And almost defiant thinking that the NRL would bend and they would give us our points back. Um, you know, I, I don't know why people thought that. And then 
there were other rumours about people saying, oh, well, you know, the NRL's looked at Parramatta and now they're looking at a couple of other clubs. And I don't know if you remember that as well, but I remember people talking about, oh, there's a possibility of two or three other clubs are over the salary cap and, and we there might be, like, you know, more penalties coming for other clubs. Yeah, I mean, I look at the Storm kind of the way you'd look at the Lance Armstrong era um, of cycling. You know, mm. there's, a, there's an asterisk there um, throughout Lance's seven years and then obviously an asterisk through the the four or five years of, of Melbourne's um, cheating period. I mean, they, they didn't only win two premierships. They, they didn't mm. win all four in, the, in that era. Um, and like you said, you know, Melbourne were a little more systematic in what they did. They, you know, two sets of books, one not kept at at the, the facility, they, they avoided audits, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think, yeah, the, the NRL did learn from that and kind of went, well, you know, we don't want to completely freeze one of the 15 teams out because it devalues the product. And in mm. Parramatta... Uh, kind of regardless of how well they play, they attract ratings, they attract media coverage, they attract sponsorship. Uh, you freeze them out of an entire season and it impacts the NRL's bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're obviously going to be a bit concerned about that. Um, yeah, I do remember and even some of the players saying, you know, we want to hold on to all the boys here um, and, you know, have them stick around and we'll worry about the salary cap next year. And I, I kind of understood that, you know, um, it was it was going to become a pride thing, Uh they wanted to stick together, um, and you know, it, I mean, Junior was going anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I, he was he'd signed for the Raiders for 2017, um, and I understood him departing. Um, but you know, unfortunately, Nathan Peets was forced out mm-hmm. and, and headed to the Gold Coast. Yeah, and I I I felt for, I felt for him doing that. You know, everyone stood up on the ninth minute, I think, the following game, um, and clapped him. Yeah, and you know, that was a very selfless thing for him to do. To, to leave the club. And un- unfortunately, his, his career, you know, I think he, he played Origin, but I think had he stayed at Parramatta, he, he would have ended up um, with a lot more uh, accolades. Yes, uh, definitely. Well, he played know, for some City Origin and things like that as well in the couple of years leading up and in, in that season as well. So, you know, it was it was definitely a point where he was, he was on the rise. And I think in a team that would have been... I mean, we, we saw what happened with the next season that they, they ended up finishing fourth in the next season. So with, you know, if Pete's would have stuck around, he would have been a, a fairly successful team. And, you know, I think he was really starting to come on as a player as well. I think in that EL system, he really added something. Um, mm-hmm. And in those early games, that was a lot of, a lot of the line speed was, was Nathan Pete's and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the intensity was, was him and, you know, played a lot like his dad played as well, you know, with the, with a lot of the, um, the controlled aggression, not the not the ridiculous aggression we see nowadays, but um, you know, like it, I, I really think he could have had a much better career if if this hadn't happened to him. But um, yeah, look, at just just going on to that, I think maybe we'll just do is have a quick talk about who actually got squeezed out. Um, mm-hmm. So we talked just before the podcast that um, you you said he was already on his way anyway, but Ryan Morgan ended up leaving two days later to go play for Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, I, look, I I think that he was leaving anyway, so that was fine. Um, and you know, he might as well take up his offer with with Melbourne straight away, and then we can get him off the books. Um, and then, of course, you know, there was Junior Paulo who also left. Well, I think we'll come back to Junior Paulo because there's a there's a there's a good story of Junior Paulo as well. Um, and there's the Kieran Forum. We'll come back for that one as well. But the the Nathan Peets one is the one that everyone remembers, and the one that, as Parramatta fans we feel the worst about because. It was he was the one who didn't want to go. All the other ones were already on their way out, or 
you know, there was other circumstances which got rid of him. But there was there was nothing about Nathan Peets that he had to leave. Um, it was only just the fact that they looked at the numbers and went, the only way to get us under this cap is to get rid of one of these players, and he was the one who got chosen. So um, I don't know why particularly he was chosen. I'm not sure whether it was because we did have Isaac de Goyes as a backup and we thought, well, we'll get through the season, um, we'll be okay. Um, or, yeah, I'm just not sure. Do you have any yeah. inkling of why they did choose Pete's to be the so, second think- lamb? Part of it was was depth. So you had the Goyce, you also had Kaiser Pritchard. Um, mm. So you had two two backup hookers there. Uh, and I think Pete's was on a fair bit of, of coins because, you know, we, we lured him across from, from Souths uh, yeah. at the time. And he was on the way up, you know. So I, I think I think he had a, a couple of years to run on his contract too. So it wasn't even like um, we were going to have any kind of room to move him around. Then you look at the rest of the team, you know, his spine players are your most highly paid. We just recruited Kieran Foran. Mm-hmm. So we weren't getting rid of him. Yeah. I think Corey Norman had only been there one or two years yeah. Um, yeah. and we invested a bit of time into him. And then, you know, Michael Gordon wasn't on that much at fullback. So it wasn't like um, we had some some coins to play with back there. Um, I think the other thing that, that hurts with losing Pete's is, is that we lost Foran at the end of the season. Yeah. And everyone kind of went, well, if he had left mid-season, we would have been able to keep Nathan Peets. Yeah, and there was a lot that, of that, that talk as well. I do remember that, yeah. Um, and it was it was terrible. Like, it was just... Look, I, and I understand it, and he understands it a bit. I knew he understand that, but it was just the thing of... I think he looked around and went, well, why am I getting chosen? Like, why why is it me? And I think he really did want to stay at Parramatta. And I think if if it was a, if there was a chance to, to have moved anyone else on, then, you know, but like we said, you know, this team was, was building, so we just signed a lot of guys. So you're talking about your foreign and, and Michael Jennings and, you know, like Norman was supposed to be our, you know, a 5'8 for a long period of time as well. And, you know, there was lots of guys around there that we'd either just brought in. I mean, you had Bo Scott as well, just brought in. And it's it's like, well, you know, we can't just get rid of these guys. These are the guys that are going to build us for the future. I'm just not sure. I'm I obviously I don't know what the salary situation was, but he just like you said he maybe was just the more logical choice because we had some backup there. I think they really thought highly of Casey Pritchard, and obviously oh, that they did, and that didn't work out as well, I suppose. So you know, in, yeah. in a in a sense, it was probably the wrong decision in the long term. But you know, at the time, it probably was the only logical one they could make. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely saw Pritchard as the the future there, um, and unfortunately, his body didn't hold up. And then uh, I think Isaac de Goyce retired. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he retired at, at the the start of 2017 or the start of 2018. I can't remember, but he he yeah. was forced into retirement due to um, uh, persistent uh, I think concussion post concussion syndrome. Um, which, when you look at his career, isn't uh, too much of a surprise. He had a lot of a lot of concussions, a lot of head knocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think you know the fact that we had Pritchard and DeGoyce on the books that year is probably why Pete's ended up uh, departing. Um, unfortunately for the Titans, who you know, if you put him in, you know, yeah, you keep him in a, a competitive side. You know, like you said, he probably continues to improve. And I mean, he was he was one of my favourite uh, acquisitions uh, at the start of Brad Arthur's tenure. Mm. You know, a, a very competitive player um, at the time. Pretty much the the hooker that everyone was kind of looking for, you know, he, these days he probably wouldn't be the the choice as we kind of saw up at the Titans. So they yeah. eventually froze him out. Yeah. Um, but at the time you wanted a hooker that could make their tackles, lead the line, um, had, had good, good ball skills, bring your players onto the ball, engaging the markers, engaging a defenders. 
um, which he did fantastically well. Um, you know, if he was still at the club, he probably he'd be easily supplanted now by um, by Reed Marnie. Reed's just oh, of course. Reed, yeah. Reed's a Reed's a, a a bona fide state of origin hooker without the the jersey yet. You know, yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, the injury this year meant he missed out. But um, when we got him, considering we'd had Matt Keating, who uh, very mm-hmm. tough competitor, very reliable competitor, but he he's not the guy who's going to get you into the finals consistently and yeah. and and win you a comp as close as he did in two thousand and nine. A lot of that came as yeah. well from the, the that's, thrust. Kevin that's King extremely diplomatic about Matt Keating. I, I... <laughs> uh, see, I inadvertently had dinner with him when I was uh, I think in twenty eleven. Yeah, because um, he's from the area I grew up in, mm. um, and I, I, I we're out at dinner. Uh, one of the local restaurants, uh, it was full and, and my family inadvertently sat down right next to him. And the funny way I, t- I could tell it was him is because his thumb was all bruised and swollen. It was just after he'd accidentally got bitten by his dog and broken his thumb. Oh, geez, yeah. Um, you know, so I was sitting there and, and I didn't say anything um, to him because I knew who it was, but he was, you know, he's out for dinner with his partner and I went, you know, just, just leave him alone. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I always thought Keating was just, you know, he was a tough player. He was a good competitor, um, but he he wasn't kind of the hooker that was going to take you to that next level. Particularly he, when you look around, he was around. a middling. He was a very middling. He was just an average hooker. You know, yeah. in an average side, he'd be a decent player. Yeah, but um, all right. I think I think we've done enough on on Nathan Peets. I, I think mm. probably the best thing to do is maybe just go through a couple of these others because there's there's some interesting stories. I've got three guys in mind. Um, we'll just I maybe we we'll just go one by one. Um. And probably the best one we mentioned him probably most recently is Kieran Foran. So obviously came to to Parramatta with some fanfare. Um, you know, as I read in that article, you know, which was the one of the previews for the season. You know, it was supposed to be he was supposed to be the next Peter Sterling, like all the others that happened before <laughs> him. Um, so look, I, I remember I remember he didn't play in the first game. We played the Broncos and got beaten. Um, he turned up in in the second game, and and it was it was like a masterclass, and it was it was like he was born to be in that number seven jersey for me, um, and I remember that game really well, and I remember just just watching how effortlessly he just went across the field, and and you know like it was a there was a streak of wins like three games in a row that we played that the Cowboys, the Bulldogs, and the Tigers, and he was just he was just so good in all three of those games, and. You know, like it looked like we had we had the right halfback for once. Like it looked like we'd done the right thing after going through the whole Chris Sandow debacle, and you know, before that, like you said, you mentioned you know Robson and, and Mortimer, kind of, you know, basically Robson and Mortimer being second, third string after we had you know Brett Finch, and you know, basically the the roundabout or the the merry-go-round of of Eels halves. It, it felt like finally we had the right guy to me. Um, what was your thoughts of, of the early season for him before we get to the other stuff? I, I loved his recruitment when mm. we got him. Um, you know, it's easy in hindsight to say, oh, he wasn't right for us at the time. But you go, at the time, he was a premiership winning halfback. He was the half, I think he was the halfback for New Zealand because Benji was the 5'8". Um, he was the, you know, I know, I know we recruited Brett Finch and he was an origin halfback. I think he might have won a comp with, with the Roosters earlier on his career. Not 100% on that. Mm, yeah, I'm um, not but sure apart, if he was that Roosters team. Yeah, he might have been. Yeah, but but apart from Brett Finch, Foran is the only really bona fide superstar halfback we've ever recruited. You know, mm. we developed Peter Sterling. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I think John Peard, if you look back, you know, he's really at the tail end of his career when he came to Parramatta. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we had a, a twenty a 26-year-old halfback who, you know, 
no one said a bad word about when we bought him. You know, they, they said it was fantastic oh. business from Parramatta. That's great. Um, I, I had it basically confirmed to me that um, because Jared left, we had the money to buy Kieran, you know. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you're talking about you're paying Jared however much money and then you can take his money and stick it into Kieran Foran, you're not going to get much better value for money in terms of, you know, play recruitment, even these days, you know, that probably the, the best bit of business we've done recently is probably nicking Mitchell Moses back off the, the Tigers. Yeah. Yep. Um, when you've seen his his rise in the past couple of years. But, you know, Foran for me was just the the ultimate player, you know, incredibly good defender. He's even today watching him play for Manly, hmm. um, his ability to take a hit and go right to the line and time the pass to perfection is still there. Um, he can get a side around the park. He's kind of He's, he's like an everyman half. He slots into 5'8 if you need a running half. You know, he's got the big dummy, the, a bit of that left foot step, and he can go straight through a gap. Not as quick as he used to be. Um, but, you know, if if he needs to control the game, he's got the kicking game to do that. Uh, and he's still got the physicality about him to put his body on the line. Um, and it's a testament to, him, to himself to come back from all those injuries he's had to now being – I think he's been fairly consistent at, at Manly this year. I'm not sure if he's missed a game or he might have missed a couple. No, he's been um, pretty good actually, which is which for, an Eels, for Eels fans is, is a little bit like, great, he's, he's good again. <laughs> he's so, finally got his body back in Nick, which exactly. you could also say of Warriors and Bulldogs fans. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Well, this this is the thing. Um, you know, right through from 2009 till 2015, you know, it, it, I don't think he was probably the best five out in the competition, but he was pretty close. Um, and then, like you said, like a, a big signing. And then, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, um, we signed him to be the number seven, and you know, pretty much Peter Sterling always annoys everyone as the great as a great halfback. Uh, oh, so I don't think, with us. But, I don't um, think Sterlo has really done that since the the Tim Smith debacle oh, when he no, handed over the a, number seven jersey. Uh, well, maybe not this, but um, at the time, so I've got uh, this is from Wikipedia, so take this how you want. I'm not sure if this is right, uh, but it says Parramatta legend Peter Sterling said that foreign signing was the most important signing in the club's history. Uh, yeah, I knew I knew about that. I, I kind of went. Um, he had the, the whole jersey handing over to Tim Smith in 2005, oh, yes, yes, which blew up. Um, but when I, when I remember talking about Kieran Foran, uh, it wasn't kind of like uh, this guy's got potential or this guy's mm. got, you know, maybe he'll do this. It was, we yeah. know we're recruiting a superstar and that was what we'll, that's what I think Sterlo kind of meant there, you know. Yeah, and he, of he course. Was, yeah. Yeah. He was, he, he was correct in the term, in the, in the, the context of, the type of player Kieran was that we recruited, not how he turned out. Yes, exactly. So, look, he, he started off on fire, like we said, and then there's that game that we've both talked about. We haven't talked on this podcast, but we talked about the game against Canberra. So, you know, Canberra, the team who finished second on the table, um, absolutely towed them up 36-6 to six in, like, round, round four, I think it was, or round six. Round six. Yeah. So, sorry, I was looking at I was looking at the West Tigers thing on the same thing. And it, it, so, yeah, round six against Canberra. And, you know, in that game, I'll probably come back to that one when we talk about one of the other players as well, about how good he was. But, you know, Foran was just so good. And, and basically, it kind of fell apart. There was, obviously, there was some personal issues. So, there was the, the overdose. Um, mm. and he got he got granted leave, so that was in April. Um, and then obviously there was the whole situation with the, you know, the shock jocks in Sydney, you know, making accusations about the paternity of his of his child and you know his ex partner and all these kind of things happening. And you know, and I I, I did read that he was also going through a, a pretty tough time because he hadn't been paid out 
for his manly contract for the year before and there's lots of things going on in his head and yeah basically it just seemed to break him he was just you know he seemed all on top of it right through to that point and then as soon as that happened he just completely fell apart and I felt really bad for him at the time but you know as as a greedy Eels fan I was like just just get better and you know and we want you back on the field and then he just everything just kept spiraling he you know did he basically you know I think when he went out and got drunk or something when he's supposed to be in rehabilitation for an injury and um all kinds of stuff just basically happened and you know he he didn't obviously didn't see out his contract he was gone by the end of the year so um just when you said shit show and and this 2016 season that that's probably one of the most shit show things I've ever seen because it was it started off with so much promise and then it just by the end we got what seven eight games out of him I'm not even sure how many games we got nine, out of him. No, I think we ended up with nine out of yeah. him. Yeah. Like and I mean they were quality when he played but then yeah basically that injury that he had against Newcastle and he and he never played for us again after that. Yeah, for me, I always look um, whenever you know a new coach turns up. I like to look at their first three years if if they make it that long, right? Because mm. I kind of feel that three years um, you've then you've got an opportunity to turn over your roster. Um, and I felt twenty sixteen was kind of the year Brad Arthur had managed to turn over his roster, yeah. right? So he pretty much got rid of almost everyone he could out of the twenty thirteen fourteen, and, and Ricky Stewart played a role in that, mm. but. You know, we had the, the the spine, if you like. So, you know, you had Corey Norman and Kieran Foran there. You had Nathan Peets. And fullback was up in the air a little bit, but you had, you know, a bloke by the name of Bevan French coming through who'd played a fair bit of fullback in the lower grades. Yep. You had Michael Gordon there for, for now. And obviously, Clint Gutherson had come through as a fullback mm-hmm. um, at Manly and then obviously came to us as a, as a winger and, and centre to start with because um, he hadn't played there. Uh, he hadn't played a lot of football when he came to us. Um, no, he played. Hadn't he played three games, or he played? He actually played in the season before um, at Paramount Stadium and and did like a an ACL or something like that. I remember. Yeah, he, yeah. He ended up playing pretty much the entire season for us, though, in twenty sixteen. He played twenty four games, mm, mm. so he played. He played the entire year, um, and kind of. I remember his, his one of his first games was an absolute shocker for us. Yeah, he yes. couldn't catch the ball. He was, couldn't time his run. He was he was all over the place. And yeah. I remember my dad sitting next to me going, what's he doing on the field? Get him off the field. Why are we buying from Manly? Uh, he wastes the money. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was sitting next to him going, no, no, he'll, he'll come good. You know, he'll come good. He'll, he'll be all right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, he's more than all right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so I just, look, I just looked it up. So 2013, he played one game for Manly and he played three in 2014. And then he played one game in 2015, and I'm pretty sure that that game was the one against Parramatta. It was the first game of the season. Yep, round one against against um, Parramatta, where we mm. um, we absolutely towed him 42 to 12. I remember this young guy because I remember he he did that injury, and then and then it was like oh later in the year they went oh this guy's a promising player. Oh we've signed him, and I went well he just got injured like long term for a whole season. Is he going to be okay? Like I was. I was a bit doubtful about him, but you know, I'm, I'm very glad they did it now. But yeah, it was, yeah. Um, yeah, like, and I know what you mean, like coming through in the spine there. So I mean, Michael Gordon was always there just to just a stopgap until we could, you know, he was basically just to put someone in that position, could kick some goals, was a reliable fullback, was just someone that we could play there that wasn't, you know, wasn't a problem. But yeah, there was a lot of raps on Bevan French. I know, I do remember that. Um, and because look, I whenever I when I was allowed to go to football games, 
uh, I'd always go watch all all games that were on, like all the junior games as well. And you'd watch the under twenties. And I mean, I'm not the greatest, you know, scout or anything like that. But when I watched Bevan French, I went, "Look, this guy's he's got a lot of." And they used to talk him up. He's got a lot of attacking prowess. And I went, "But he just looks a bit small." And he got to put a bit of weight on because I'm just like I don't know if he's going to be able to survive in in first grade how he is. Um, and look, uh, maybe I was proven right or maybe I wasn't, but you know he really didn't. Once he kind of got his chance at fullback, he really that that was part of the problem. He really wasn't big enough. So um, yeah, but you know, I mean, and obviously, obviously Gutherson came along and he was just a bit better at, at being a fullback than than French was, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the size difference helps. I think Clint's got at least ten kilos on him, mm. um, and Bevan was, was an excellent. He's an excellent finisher. You know, yes. he did that speed. You you can't you you can't beat speed in in rugby league, particularly as as a winger. You know, you give them an inch of room and they're gone. And and, and um, you know the likes of, of Josh Adokar and Jason Saab and um, James Tedesco and Ryan Pappenhausen have shown that. Mm. Um, I was a bit disappointed when when French did leave to go to, to Super League in 2018. Yeah, um, I felt that that was kind of a bit of the easy option. You yeah. know, because when I looked up his stats, he's the same size as Ryan Pappenhausen, and I kind of felt, look, if 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 Pappenhausen is is that good. Um, you know, that size shouldn't be that much of an issue. You know what I mean? You know, if, mm-hmm. if there's a guy the same, and, and Matt Dufty as well, you got uh, two guys the same size as you and they've carved out a pretty decent career in the NRL. Yeah. Um, and he also had a, a teammate by the name of Will Smith, who again is about the same size and, and Will Smith will play in the middle. <laughs> he'll play at prop if you ask him, he'll play at lock. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, Bevan that year, he only played 13 games for us, but he scored 19 tries. Yeah, and so that shows you the the impact that he had when when he was on the field. He outscored Semi Radradra. Semi play, Semi played nineteen games, but only scored twelve times. Mm-hmm. I say only because that's that's below Semi strike rate for us. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, it's interesting we talk about two thousand eighteen and Bevan French because I remember going to the early like I remember going to those games and that um that New South Wales Cup side it was it was so funny because basically what they did was. Um, they would just put high kicks up for Bevan French, or they'd put kicks through for him. That was the only way they could really score. They were they were just not that good a team. And as soon as it was real that he was going over to England to play, I thought, oh, great, every time we watch this team, they're getting absolutely towed up. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, instead of putting high kicks up for Bevan French, they do it for Will Smith. So he, they put him back at fullback, and he was doing the same thing. So it's like, oh, they've only got one tactic. So if they if they lose Will Smith, they're going to have to find a, a you know nippy fast fullback to kick for. Um, yeah. And then and then the 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 amazing miracle of miracles is that team actually ended up making the grand final in that New South Wales Cup, which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it was it was such a strange season for that one. But you know, I know I know what you mean, but I I think Bevan French's time was done. I don't think anyone mm. in the NRL was going to take him on. And I know no, that he wasn't getting the, another go at the, There was a game where I think he ran for three metres or something and he was carrying a shoulder injury. Hmm. Um, but I think that, that pretty much cooked him in the NRL. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of teams would have got put off by that. Um, yeah. I know I know one 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 game doesn't make a career, but I think when you're an outside back and you're expected to carry the ball like like they are these days, I mean I, I think there were a number of factors that contributed to that. Um, the, not the least of which was was semi leaving. Um, yeah. You look yeah. at 2016. You look at 2017. Yeah. Uh, when he's there and Bevan has his two best years for us, I think there's a, a big correlation between the um, 
the, the amount of meters that semi could make per run, which then opened up the ruck for Bevan to take advantage of. Because, mm. you know, if he comes in to take a scoop behind semi, he's got retreating defense. He's got a, uh, an, ups, an upset uh, couple of markers who aren't quite set. Um, and you can use his speed and evasiveness to get around them. You lose that punch from semi, uh, and Bevan's this lightweight 80 kilo guy. You can just pick up a monster. Yeah, exactly. Because um, he's not running running at a at a disorganized defensive line. That's right. Well, look, I think I think we've got enough. Well, we've got yeah, on gone to, down a, yeah, a we've gone down a rabbit hole. We, we were talking about <laughs> Kieran Foran, but we'll move on to the next one. Oh, yeah. So I've got a couple others. Um, then I won't I won't talk about Ryan Morgan because we obviously you were saying you know he was already gone, so we'll leave him out. The next one yeah, I want to I talk think, about. I think we said that off. Off. off oh, did air. we? Or did we say? It? Yeah. Oh, I think. I, I think we did say that he was going. He wasn't on his way to Melbourne, and he did leave on the fifth. I'm pretty <clears> sure I did say that. But yeah, um, yeah, he, yeah. So he was part of. He was part of the ones that they did move on to try and get under the salary cap. But realistically, not, that's the only reason why I wanted to mention him. Um, the the ones I'm mentioning here are probably more of the bad things that happened to players in this season as well. So. The next one, all the stupid things that players did in this season. So the next one um, is Junior Paulo. So um, I I had forgotten all about this, but basically, oh the rugby union. Yeah, in February of that year, Paulo decided that he would play. Um, I thought it might have been after February. Sorry, he he decided that he would play in a. I think it was a third grade. I think he was. I think he was suspended at the time too. Yes, it was in May. So here it is now. Okay, so on the seventh of May, he played. Uh, for Samoa against Tonga. And then after that, he also then made a cameo for a third-grade rugby union team in Oatley, um, saying that his brother-in-law, who was the coach of the team, wanted him to play. Apparently, he gave a fake name and he put a headgear on just to try and make sure no one could tell who he was. Yeah, as if they wouldn't notice a first-grade rugby league player (laughs) packing down in a scrum. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was hilarious. And, And when it happened, you'd be like, oh, okay, you know... You know, it's not, it's not desirable, but it was just, it was in that same month. It was in May of 2016. So, yeah. so May we had, you know, we had the whole situation of, of the salary cap. Plus, the Kieran Foran stuff was still going on. And then we had this. And um, I think it said some, if I'm correct, Corey Norman also played. And also James Serigaro from, from the Panthers also played. Um, or they... No, 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 sorry. Um, sorry, I've I'm, I'm got myself confused. Uh, it was after the rugby thing that um, Paulo and uh, Corey Norman and Seguiaro were actually um, were issued with warnings from the police because they were um, consorting with known criminals. That was the Star City thing. Yeah, remember? and I, I, think, I think that was Norman got busted uh, yes. with, with drugs and that was the main thing because he got, he got suspended for six weeks for that, I think. Yeah, um, so... I think the consorting with criminals thing was a bit of a... I, I that that just that just seemed harsh, really, to me. It's like they apparently they apparently knew the guys and they'd known them for quite a while since before prison or something. Yes, yes. Um, and they were just catching up with them. So I kind of felt well, they're, they're still mates, you know. But um, yeah. but the, the the drug possession, I went, Jesus, what's what's wrong with you? You know, and apparently well, so I'm just holding yeah. it for someone. I'm like, well, possession <laughs> is possession. <laughs> we'll get on to Corey in a sec because I think he's he deserves his own little segment. But that that <laughs> just kind of gets that gets us to the end of Junior Paula because in, in um, the end of May, that's when he gets released to go take up his contract with, with Canberra early. Um, so yeah. so we've lost we've lost Pete's, we've lost um, Kieran Forum by this point, and Paula's also gone. 
So yep. there's three pretty decent good players. I mean, I know Paul yeah. probably wasn't at the top of his game, but he was still a you know up and coming. Well, he he played you know he played when, in when he left. When he left, you know, he was only 22, but they were talking it of him about a, as possibly a future um, Origin player. Yeah. Um, and he was, I think, 2016. He was kind of starting to find his feet um, in the NRL. I think he'd. He, he debuted, I think, in 2013 or 2014, and it had taken him a couple of years to get used to it. So um, I remember when he left, it was kind of, oh, we don't really want to lose a local junior, but, you know, um, it's not the end of the world. And then, um, you know, we ended up getting him back, and he's one of the best props in the game now. Yeah, exactly. And and it worked out it worked out well for us, um, but it, it's just interesting to say we're down, to the, we're down those three players, you know, and... And in a squad that was already, I mean, maybe not light, but you know, probably light on a little bit of playmaking. That you know, you got to, you. I mean, he's not a playmaker; he's a front rower, but he was a playmaker as well. And then, you know, you've got those other guys missing. Um, and here is where we're going to do our our Corey Norman bit. So I know Corey Norman's a bit of a meme, a bit of a meme player now, um, but 2016. If you watch the early season, 2016. It's almost like when you put Corey Norman next to Kieran Foran, it brought the best of him out, like brought just the best of of him. And the reason why I did send you that link to that um, that Canberra game, that first half, I think we led 24-0 or 30-0 at halftime, something like that. Um, a lot of that was Corey Norman. And he was just so good with ball in hand. He was Basically, the ball would go to that left-hand side and he would, he would be damaging, he would be... They were not sure whether they should come at him or not, and he'd, he'd throw these silky passes. And it was, it's just something about when Corey Norman was on that it was amazing. And and it went right through to, you know, 2017. Arguably, arguably, you know, he was just as good in that season as well. But, um, you know, really, really incredible player. But then, like you said, the MDMA and the Star City Casino, and he's just holding it for a friend, and all that sort of, all that sort of garbage, um, and it kind of that sort of was the last thing that derailed this season. So obviously that happened a lot after after May. So um, between May and and when that happened in July, you know we we basically got ourselves under. We kind of started to to win a couple of games, maybe not. You know I don't think we were we were going to make these finals, but you know, after after a couple of losses, after the decision come down, we'd we'd gone like win, win by win win by, and then you know we got to the we had a shot loss against the Sharks, so in that kind of period, and I'm not sure when when that Sharks game was. It was before or after? It's, it's, yeah, I'm not sure either. It's the start of July that Sharks game. Yeah, so it's around that same time because I think he gets suspended for eight weeks, which would be around that time. So I'm not sure if he plays in that game or not. But basically, as soon as that comes down, he as soon as this happens in July, where basically he gets caught with the MDMA, he gets an eight-week suspension, which basically gets rid of him for the rest of the season. And the season just sort of peters out to, to nothing. So, you know, we go... After after that Sharks, Sharks game, we win against the Roosters, then we go loss, 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 one win, loss, loss, and then two wins at the end. And we all knew it was over. We had to win 12 or 15 when, when the decision came down. And we dropped the first two, so we knew we had to win fourteen of fifteen, and it wasn't ever going to happen. But um, it just felt like, you know, at least we could salvage something, even if we didn't quite make the eight. We could salvage being close to the end of the eight. But it really, 
it wasn't just the salary cap that, that ruined that season. It was a lot of these things that happened with players as well. And I just feel really bad about the Corey Norman sort of thing because he he looks so promising at the start of the season and then to have the end of the season finish that way just just was ridiculous, you know. Yeah, he started he started really well and he got suspended between the Roosters game in round 18 and the Penrith game in round 19. Hmm. Uh, and... Yeah, it was just it was one of those things where I mean you you look at Corey now and you go that that's a very Corey Norman thing to do, yeah. um, but you just go how do you do something that that kind of stupid you know you your your team is 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 in a real really really bad spot right they're, they're probably not going to make finals at this point um, yeah. barring a miracle um, you know you're the you're the leader now you're the leader in the halves foreign's foreign's pretty much gone you're, you're playing. I think at one point they had Ken Edwards in at five eight. I think Clint Gutherson was about to fill in. I um, think they were just about to to bring Jeff Robson back across. Yeah. But it's like you know you're having pretty much at that point he was having a career season. It was probably his best season for us. Mm. And then you go and do something stupid like that and get yourself rubbed out for the rest of the year, uh, and not just hurt your own career but hurt hurt your teammates. And I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way considering what had happened to Nathan Peets. You know, and that he he was he was dying to stay at the club and he couldn't. And then it's like, well, you've you've gone and thrown your your season away and, and throwing your team under the bus uh, yeah. in this in, in one stupid movement. Exactly, and and it was it was just ridiculous, you know. Like, and and obviously we've seen what what's happened to his career since, you know. Like he he petered out at Parramatta, you know. By the end at Parramatta, um, there was that whole situation, and a lot of that, you know, is that whole 2018 kind of situation as well, um, and. The club made a choice and they moved on and they, they moved with Mitchell Moses. Because obviously, he and Moses could not go along with each other, uh, which makes, you know, which is fine. That's that's fine. If they just don't play well together, it's you, you separate them. But um, And they made the right choice. Like, Corey Normal was never going to be the player, like, the, the, the main man. And so, you know, going in Moses instead was obviously the better way to go. But... Um, it just it feels like 2016 is just that lost Corey Norman season, you know. If if it doesn't yeah. go the way it goes, if if there's no salary cap problem and Kieran Foran stays on the field and Corey Norman is is his half like his five eight partner, it feels like I mean, I'm not going to say it's I'm not going to say it's the you know the premiership comes or whatever, but it feels like he would have been you know up there in the Dalian points. He would have been close to winning five eight of the year or things like that, you know. He might have got an origin gig, or you know, he might have been close to origin selection, um, and and might have nailed down a spot in there in that origin team for a couple of years or something. Because, like, realistically, he he was looking excellent at the start of that season, and it just basically fell apart. Yeah, I think Kieran Foran was kind of the perfect foil for him. He could he could let Corey play that that bit of a, a second fiddle role mm. in the side um, when he needed to, and it was you know, Foran very good game manager. Um, so Norman didn't need to do that. He could he could be the the, the kind of attack leader, um, which suits him very well. Um, and I think is the reason he struggled with Moses because neither of them um, knew how to balance their um their um they they didn't really know how to balance their their playmaking um, uh, abilities to kind of gel together. Um, but yeah, I think if, uh, if if Corey had kind of kept his head on. Um, that season, he, 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 you know, we might not have ended up recruiting Moses in 2017 mm. um, because, 
you know, we probably might have gone, well, you know, Corey Norman's going to be the future. Maybe we, we work on bring through a younger bloke either in our system or, or look a little bit outside to see who we can we can bring in. Yeah, could have been. I mean, there's a lot of, that's what this podcast is about. There's a lot of sliding doors moments that um, that could have happened in the halves there. But, yeah, like a, basically you could have season where you only get, you know, you lose the last eight games and you lost a couple other games of Corey Norman's. Um, through the middle, and they lose. You only get nine games of of your main, you know, halfback, and they don't play together for for that many games. It's it's one of those things that you know, like if we could have got a full season out of both of them, I think they could have gone could have gone pretty well. And mm. you know, and, and like you said, I think it would have changed a lot of things as well. And it probably would have changed the. I mean, obviously, what what he goes on to do as well. So if he if he kept himself, you know, away from the away from the, the scandals and the drugs and things, you know, he could have been a really, really good player, but he just, he was never going to do it, unfortunately. So, you know, it's not like that's the last time that he did anything wrong either. You know, he's been he's been caught the last couple of years a few times. Obviously, you know, this year he's caught doing something again. So, um, you know, like this, it's not like um, we made the wrong choice in cutting him free. I think, I think they identified what he was like and went, well, it's no point continuing on this because he's never going to be the elite halfback we want or the elite half we want um and yeah look, Moses is definitely the way to go, was definitely the way to go but it just feels like a lost opportunity for Corey himself that he could have had an amazing year and it could have been something very special for him yeah and I think as you you kind of they're kind of looking into the future what what kind of happens after that season hmm. you know I, I really It was a chance. Um, a lot of people were surprised that top four and what kind of where this came And in a way, they they were kind of right to to have that opinion. Yeah. Um, but when you look at it, because a lot of people look at where we finished in 2016 and use that as the the way to judge our our following year. Yeah. But we finished that season despite everything, having. Um, had we kept our points, winning enough games to have qualified for the finals. Yep, exactly. Um, and, you know, if you say take a side that finishes seventh or eighth and then ends up in fourth, that's not that's not that big of a shock. No. You know, no, that's not that was. much of a surprise. Yeah. Um, but because we finished, I think, 14th at the end of the year, because, you know, we only technically won, I think, seven games um, plus yeah, the, yeah, it's the four, bye. Yeah, it's 14. Uh, well, actually, we don't. I think oh, we didn't even get them. I think we didn't get the buy points either. So we actually we won all up. We won thirteen games. So I think what happened was they because they stripped us of twelve points, and I think one of those might have been a buy. But I might be wrong. But but th- but basically 13, 13 wins, and they gave us eighteen points at the end of the season. So that means that we would have had thirty. So that's the twelve. So they they still gave us the. I think they. St- technically still gave us the buys. I'm not sure how that works, but basically we finished on 18 points. We finished two points by by Manly and two above the Roosters who finished second last. So, you know, no one would be as bad as Newcastle that year. At least we had Newcastle's. We didn't finish last. Um, mm. But, you know, like it was it was pretty bad. It wasn't, wasn't yeah. a very good season. I, I, I kind of look at that as almost the making of, of Brad Arthur. Mm. Um, I think without that season... Uh, regardless of what happened in 2017, I think without that season, uh, he doesn't survive 2018. No, I, I no. think he he get he gets he gets sacked at the end of 2018. 
but I think that the club looking at what he did in 2018 meant they were prepared to back him um, for, yeah, for, for the following couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I yeah, think that I, was the thing too. A lot of Parramatta fans were on board with it too because at the time when this... We're going back to that, that decision in May again, but at the time when that happened, he was the face of Parramatta. He was the one who was in front of the press conferences. He was not afraid to, to get out there and, and say, look... You know we're going to continue to play football games. We're going to act as a group. We're going to do what we need to do, and we all like basically we could see the players were were behind him, and mm. we could, the fans got behind him, and he became this. It almost became this sort of martyr figure. You know, like it was a it was an amazing thing that happened for him, and it was it was there was a lot of resolve from him, and and that's exactly what we needed. He was the right coach. You know, if we had a different coach that maybe wasn't as, as strong as what he is, maybe they go, maybe they go missing and they don't front the, front these press conferences. Because you got to remember, we had no board. Like the board basically got sacked. Yeah. And so and the CEO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he had to be the front man. We had no football manager or, or director of football operations or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, I think it 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 probably helped that he was on the Melbourne coaching staff when they when they got busted. Yeah, and he saw it up front with Craig Bellamy and, and the leaders there and how they dealt with it. Um, so, you know, kind of as we said at the start, you know, and how Mel- what happened with Melbourne, in a way it probably ended up helping us get through our period because our coach had had been there and witnessed it firsthand and knew what needed to be done to get through it. Hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, I think that ended up feeding into a lot of 2017. You know, we retained a lot of those players from the from 2016. Yeah. And I think that helped drive that season. Those players went, you know, we've been through the tough stuff last year. I think a lot of them said that, you know, when they were asked about, you know, why is the, the form so good this year? A lot of them said, you know, last year was so hard. Mm. Um, we want to prove to everyone that, you know, we're good enough to, to be in top four and we should have been playing finals last year. Yeah. Um, we had the form line to do that. Yeah. Um, and in, in, many, in many ways, I think some of those players... Uh, retiring or leaving it in the 2017 eventually feeds into the, the car crash of 2018. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, just before we go too much further, I want to just finish the last bit of Corey Norman because I, I just realised um, just before the MDMA, I don't remember this as well, but there apparently was um, some people who were trying to sell Corey Norman sex tapes. Um, in, oh, no, I, no, I remember that now. Remember yeah, that as well? Yeah. I, as I was going through, I actually, I actually typed in 2016 Parramatta Eels season and I just got all these articles and I, I tried to keep them all there and I, I had missed that one. But yeah, basically just before the issue that I had with the with the Star Casino, um, probably a week before then this happened and, and they were talking about, you know, how the, the Eels players were, were um, you know, gathering around Corey to, to try and, you know, and telling people to stop, stop him like getting into his personal life and stuff like that. And then you know what does he do? Or I'll go out to the casino and I'll start snorting some drugs. You know, just to, just to, um, just to show my teammates how much I appreciate the way that they look after. Yeah. Me, you know. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to go any more into into players because I think that's mm. I think that's basically it with the players. There's I've got there's a list of like you know some players that left during you know the season before and the, the players that sort of got turned over and things like that. Um. I mean, uh, one one quick thing we did mention Jeff Robson, so I'll, I'll quickly just finish with a little bit of Jeff Robson if we, uh, and the players part. But you know, basically the the two thousand and nine hero 
uh, Parramatta hero Jeff Robson, who had been, I think he was with the Warriors at the time, might have been. He went to Manly. Yeah, I think it was. So I think he was either with the the um, the Warriors or Cronulla. I've got I've got yeah. images of him playing for for Cronulla. I, he was with the Warriors, and um, Sean Johnson was there at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think he might have come back from the Warriors. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember exactly. I mean, I can I can find it. It will take me over two seconds while I I stall while I'm looking for his name. <laughs> um, and Jeff Robson and. Uh, I, he came I, I, from I, the Warriors that season. He played Cronulla yeah. for the season before. So basically, he, he played 2009, 10, and 11 for us. Uh, and then he played for Cronulla for four seasons. And then he was with the Warriors. And look, he wasn't having a terrible season either. But basically, we put the SOS, SOS out there because, you know, we had... We'd lost two halves and we'd, we were down... We actually needed to get some players in because we were running out of players. Um, and yeah, so he basically came in and played... You know, a few games in 2016. He he sucker up for 2017. And he played like one game, but like basically was in reserve. Yeah, right? it was basically a, it was a, a plead from Brad Arthur to stick around because, um, we didn't know who the halfback was going to be. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, Gutherson did his knee during that season towards the back end of it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I th- I th- uh, it was pretty much look. You were not going to play first grade, but we we'd really appreciate you sticking around for for depth. And you know, Jeff Robson over the professional did. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of uh, it was like an odd odd comfort to see him come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. In 2016, to go okay, we've at least got a guy who's played in the halves before, um, knows how to kind of get around the park. He's not going to let you down. You know, Robson very much one of those workhorses that. You know, if he goes to Melbourne, <laughs> he's one of those players that if you had to send him to Melbourne, he probably wins a comp with them, right? Yeah, he's, he does. He's not flash. He's he's not going to win your game off his own back, but he's not going to lose you that game. Um, and he's going to, you know, he play, he played hooker a bit for us as well, filled yep. in there. Yep. You know, so he can, he'll make your tackles. He'll he'll boot the ball pretty well. He, he's got serviceable ball playing skills. Um, and I've you know I think he ended up playing for, for ten years in the NRL or close to it, and I think around a hundred or a bit over a hundred first grade games. Yeah, you, know, yep. you don't. You don't do that if you can't play. Oh, of course. Yeah, definitely. And and look, I think that's... We're not going to heap too much praise on, on Jeff Robson, but, um, you know, like he, like you said, he's he's Mr. Reliable and, you know, he was... I think we felt... I mean, the season was gone and I think we thought, well, at least we can get him in here. Um, he'll steer us around just the last part of this season and, and we won't get too embarrassed and, we'll, you know, we'll do what we can. But it just felt by that point, by the time he kind of came in, it was kind of over anyway. I think we all knew it was over. Um, mm. You know, like it, as soon as that penalty came down, I, I don't know what your thoughts were, but um, I think we all realised we weren't going to play finals. And if we did, it would be an amazing effort to do because, well, like I said, you know, at, the, at that time it, they calculated we'd have to win 12 of the last 15 games. And, you know, we even though we'd been going well, I don't think anyone ever thought we'd do that. And then we actually ended up dropping two games, so we had to win 14 of 15, um, and I think we all knew it was pretty much over by that point, but there was always this thought of, well, we'll keep winning, and, and maybe what will happen is, because they were still talking about this, you know, about the, the strip points, and we thought maybe it'll get further in the season, and they might give us some of the points back, because I, I remember at the time they were talking about what the penalty would be, and I remember a lot of people saying, oh, the penalty would be four points, they'll take the, the two buys off Parramatta, and if the penalty had been four points, I mean, we still 
by the end of the season, we still wouldn't have made it. But if we would have known that we had a chance, I think a few of those other games might have been a bit closer. Um, <laughs> and there could have been a chance that we might have snuck into a, a top eight spot. And, you know, Well, I think there was the, the combination of losing the points and then losing the engine room, essentially losing Junior and, and mm. Pete's at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, just that, you know, you lost the points, which is deflating in itself, and then you lose your starting hooker and, and one of your starting props, and you just go, oh, well, we're cooked here. You know, exactly. um, I I still had optimism when the points were stripped because um, I kind of went, well, you have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was kind of my point. I said, there's no point in sitting around for the rest of the season going, oh, we're not winning, we're, yeah. we're not we're not making the finals. It's, you know, we're not going anywhere because I think had I had I done that, it would have been a very sad half a season. Yes. Um, yeah. Particularly given the start we'd had too. You know, I, I think that was a bit of a driver for it in that. Well, I, I hey, think we started pretty all, well. I think yeah. we've got a crack. You know, we, we've got to have a crack. We, and a lot of, that's what a lot of players were saying was, yeah. um, you know, we might not make the finals, but we're going to have a crack. And I think you definitely saw that throughout the season. They just kept turning up each yeah. week. Yeah, um, they, they didn't win the games they needed to, um, but you couldn't really accuse that side of, of putting the queue in the rack and, and just packing up and going home. No. So I think that's probably the longest introduction to a what if because because what I want to do now just really quickly with you mm-hmm. is is say what if none of that happened so what if 2016 started Kieran Foran played the whole year um, Pete's didn't have to leave we didn't get caught for salary cap because we weren't over the salary cap we were we magically did something that we weren't we weren't over um, you know Junior Paulo doesn't have to leave early. He doesn't do the stupid rugby game. Corey Norman doesn't act like a dickhead. Um, what? What do you? What do you think expectation-wise we could have done in that season? So, I mean, I, I've set up a spreadsheet to to change the results if we want to, and I can really go through that. But just just out of your own thoughts, do you think that they would have been a premiership threat, or do you think they would have been a possible top four team, or do you think they would have just been a top eight team? I think they, they, they almost definitely would have been a top four team with that, that start. Mm. Um, and given that start was with a new halves pairing as well, you know, the, the longer that season gets. And the, the important thing to remember too is we would have lost virtually no one to, to origin duty, maybe Michael Jennings, that would, probably would have been it. Mm. Um, you know, you think about it, your halves are a Kiwi and a, and a Queenslander who isn't named Thurston or Cronk yeah. in 2016. Your fullback's not playing. Origin in both Scott Matt may have been on the radar, but he was on the downhill from in terms of his career, he probably wasn't getting picked up. But you know, I think after that start at the start of the year, I went, Oh, you know, we're in for a crack at top eight. And then those first six games or, or six wins, I kind of went, Well, we're in for a crack at top four here because we were top four. Mm. Um, and I was even when I when I was, was researching for this, I went, You know, top four probably 2016, I think 2017 or 2018 would have been a crack at a premiership if that. That team had to stuck around. Yeah. Now, particularly for me, that the big one was was foreign. Yeah. Um, yeah. Knowing his quality, had he one stuck around and two got his body together, I think you're looking at you know as you said you know Corey Norman seemed to gel pretty well with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you think of 2017, that team finished top four. And we had one Origin player. Yeah. In that team. Yeah. Which exactly. which is is incredibly rare. You look at even our current team, which isn't going to make top four, and we've got four or five origin players. Yeah, um, true. So I, I think top four were definitely on the cards 2016. Um, and then, 
you know, if, if foreign and, and a, a large chunk of that squad sticks around for 2017, we're probably looking at challenging for the premiership that year. Yeah, very true. So, I, like I said, I've got this spreadsheet. So, I've got a, a big highlight at round 10, which is the Rabbitohs game, which, which is the game directly after the salary cap stuff because pretty much everything happens then. So, that's Did a game... We... That's a game we lose, 22-20, and Souths weren't that good a team. They finished bottom four. That was the, the season they went backwards under Maguire, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. That, that season? Was, yeah, that was a that because they'd won well, in 2014, they, and I, I don't know what happened in 15, but I'm pretty sure in 16 they, they weren't that great. They started going backwards. I think 2017 they really bottomed out under Maguire because I think yeah. 2018 was Seabold when he got them to the top four. Yes, that's right. Well, it was... It was Seabold, but we, we've all realised that it wasn't really Seabold after no. all. <laughs> but um, he was given the credit for it and a good given contract a lot of credit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, we lose that game 22-20. I mean, if we if we win that game, the next week we play the Storm, I'm not prepared to say we're going to beat the Storm. That's fine. Um, then we go on a, a streak. Then the next game is the Knights game that Foran gets injured in. So let's say he doesn't get injured. We still beat the Knights. The Knights finished last, and we struggled to beat them. So... You know, like that—that that was a pretty bad sort of thing. But I, yeah, I reckon we win that one probably quite easily, even if we we won it, just win it the way we did win it. We then go on and beat the Titans and the Rabbitohs again, um, or Titans and the Rabbitohs, and then we come the, up the against the Rabbitohs. Was that the game? Semi scored that length of the field. Yeah, thirty to twelve. So I'm fairly sure that's the length of the field. Um, yeah, yeah. One. Um, and then the next game, which is round seventeen, is the Sharks game. Um, even if you say we don't beat the Sharks, that's fine. You know, I'll just keep that one where it is. Um, we then come up against the Roosters that we, we beat, and the Roosters finished second last, so we, that's reasonable. Um, and then it's a, a string of three losses, which is the which is this is when we've got no Corey Norman or Kieran Foran, um, and we get beaten by the Panthers, the Titans, and the Tigers. Now, I, I don't know what you think, but I think that Parramatta beats the Panthers. Parramatta definitely beats the Titans because, you know, we beat them earlier in the season. So, you know, that's fine. And I'm fairly sure we beat the Tigers as well. So if you give us those three wins already, um, even if we don't change the rest of it, so let's see what we'll do. I'm just going to change those numbers. Um, if you give us those, that means we would finish in fourth position. And we still have, mm -hmm. after that, we've got a win against the Seagulls where we won 10-9, which is an unusual game. Um, and then there's two games that we play... Uh, we get beaten by the Broncos and then the Raiders in rounds 23 and 24. Um, not by much, but, you know, still get beaten. And then there's obviously, you know, the two wins at the end of the season against the Dragons and the Warriors. So, you know, if if we just leave it... I mean, if we give us one more win against the Broncos, we end up finishing second. But, you know, like it, just say just say there's the games, the ones I just picked out, the ones that we still win with our combination. We end up going to the finals... 2016, first week against the Storm. We all know that Parramatta oh. can never beat the Storm. Jesus. So <laughs> so we perhaps don't win that game. But look, you know, if, if we want to be really... We want to be real Eels Gronks, we can say they beat the Broncos and we can put ourselves in second and we'll get a much better result. Um, but, like, you know, j just say... I mean, you talked about 2017 and that, you know, that season and getting in the top four and, and playing that. that. That game, that 2017 game against the Storm, where we should have won. Um, you know, maybe this 2016 game we played the Storm as well. Maybe we don't win this game. But, you know, if we don't win this game, it, it gives us... 
if we come up against them again in 2017, maybe we do win that game. Maybe the experience. Mm, I mean, that's the. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. then again, you know, we played them in 2017. They beat us. We played them in 2019. They beat us. 2020. They beat us. Um, we've never beaten Melbourne yeah, in a finals game. That's very um, true. It's yeah. actually funny, you know, because if I if I apply what I think who who I think wins in the first week of the finals, um, we played the Storm in the first week in 2016, and then apparently we would we would have played the the Cowboys in the second week. So, um, which is what happened the following, which is what happened the year after. And the funny yeah. thing about that is, is 2016 is the year that um, is the year just after the Cowboys and the mm. Broncos play in that grand final. So, you know, we might have we might have done the same thing in 2017 a year earlier, which means that you know maybe 17 would have been a better year. I don't know. I'm not really sure, but. So the- the, the thing that I think we've forgotten is we actually won the nines that season in 2016. Yeah, I hadn't forgotten. And, I just hadn't mentioned it at that point. Yeah. So there had been, uh, since the nines were introduced, there was kind of a run of basically if you won the nines, mm. you then won the comp within a year or two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, which I think yeah, was, was a fair indication. You know, you, you've gone out, you've won a, a trophy, and then that kind of feeds into the club and the, the culture there. You win something. Yeah, um, I remember I spoke to Steve Edge last year, and he said the actual turning point for Parramatta in the eighties was nineteen eighty. They won a they won the Tooth Cup, Midweek yes. Cup. Yes, they did. Uh, and he said for, for for the guys who hadn't won anything because he'd already won two premierships. He said for the guys that hadn't won anything, that was like a recognition that hey, we we're good enough. So, you know, who knows the, the twenty sixteen um, nines win uh, mm. could have been the omen that that we would have. Been well, up there, yeah, and, as and a like, contender. like like you said, you know, like the team who had won it went on to win the premiership. So basically, we were in line. Um, you know, we'd done we'd done what we needed to do. We got ourselves in line to to win, and it was it was the team who won it would win the premiership in the year after, usually. Um, yeah. So yeah. you know, it all pointed to we'll have a good season and we'll build ourselves up for 2017, and we'll be winning this grand final like next year. So and. That's the other thing that I mean. We didn't really, we didn't really talk about it, but obviously, you know, we got stripped of the twelve points and and had the fine. But they also took away that Auckland Nines win, mm. which which I find ridiculous. And I don't know what so you do think I. about it. Yeah, because the thing is that I'm not sure if it's in the same tournament, but I think in one of the tournaments, Brad Fittler had been retired. It was for the 10 same years. Year. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was the same year. And I'm pretty sure an AFL player played for the Roosters one year. Like people who were not on the salary cap were playing for all different. Yeah, we well, had. I think you had Jason Croker one mm. year for the, for the Raiders. I think Ruben Wiki came back for yeah. the Warriors. I kind of went, "How can you strip a trophy where there's no salary cap?" Exactly. That didn't and make any sense to me. I just went, "You've taken a trophy office, but at the same time, there are players playing who aren't NRL players." Yeah, exactly. Like there were guys that were out there who didn't have a first tier contract, and they were just, you know, like. You don't include them in the salary cap, so why why are you stripping the trophy office? Um, mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, how much is Brad Fittler getting paid, and was that on the yeah. <laughs> was that on the Roosters' well, cap that year? Exactly. Well, exactly right. You know, um, I just find that ridiculous. Well, I I just thought for an exercise as well, I would I would give us the the Broncos win in round twenty three um, to see whether we can somehow you know in our own eels way give ourselves this premiership. So. Um, the first week of the finals gets gets manipulated because we end up finishing second, which would be amazing. Um, we would have to play the Sharks, and the Sharks actually 
lose, like they actually limp into these finals. Even though they win the Premiership eventually, they limp their way into these finals and they yeah, lose. They, they had week. a terrible run in, didn't they? Yeah, they go really bad. They they lose three or four in a row, and they lose their first finals game against the Raiders. Um, so I'm going to say we beat them just because I want to. Um, the other results, <laughs> you've got Storm against Raiders. Um, I don't care. Let's make the Storm win. Um, and then Cow- I think I think the Cowboys, the other games are the Cowboys, Panthers, Broncos, Bulldogs. I can't remember who wins those games. So just give me a second. I'm going to see if they actually have played before. Because um, I can't, I don't look. I I didn't really pay attention to this final series because it felt like a season that was just destroyed by the stupid salary cap thing. But I mean, I, rem- I remember watching grand finals. And I remember Cronulla and Melbourne, and it was a great game. But um, I just don't care who won in the first week of the finals. Penrith beat Canterbury, and yeah, none of those teams played each other. So let, let's. I don't know. Let's say the Cowboys can win because they were high on the ladder and let's say the Broncos beat the Bulldogs for unknown reasons. So we get to the second week. We get to the third week anyway. Um, the Raiders beat the Cowboys and the Sharks beat the Broncos. So that means we play the Raiders in a prelim to see if we can get to the grand final. And at this point, based on that season, we had beaten, we'd convincingly beaten them earlier and we'd had a narrow loss to them in round 24. So... You know, like I'm not saying that we go on and win this this grand final at that point, but you know, like it, everything that I do in these in this time period for Parramatta, if if you can if you can eliminate the shit that happened, they would been they would have been contenders for for a whole period here, and that was just my point. I just wanted to go back through it again and go, look, if you change another result there, and all of a sudden, you know, if we fluke a win against or we get a win against the Raiders and I don't know. The Sharks beat the Storm, so they in the grand final. So we end up playing the Sharks in the grand final, and look, I don't know if the Sharks' destiny gets them over the line, or I don't know if we get over the line. But um, well, the the thing is, there you're talking about, you know, the Sharks' destiny, and you go, well, Parramatta also had their their hmm. destiny would have been um, uh, bang on yeah. thirty years, yeah. twenty sixteen. You know, exactly. it would have been the um the final year of, of Parramatta Stadium and, and we'd won the final year of, of the Cumberland Oval. Yeah. I think had Parramatta made that grand final, the talk wouldn't have been about Cronulla. It would have been about Parramatta. Yeah. Exactly. Um because it would have been well Cronulla could break their drought, but because you remember I think uh a couple of years before that when South made the grand final against the Bulldogs. Yeah. It wasn't about Oh, the Bulldogs, you know, they're, they're here for the second time in, in, I think, two years or three years. They got beaten by Melbourne. They're looking for revenge. It was all about breaking the drought for Souths. Yeah. And it was Souths' time. I think you would have got a lot of that had Parramatta made the grand final in 2016. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, um, who, <laughs> who knows what would have happened? But all we know is that um, if there wouldn't have been such a shit show in 2016, it w- we would have been a lot happier about it. I mean, knowing knowing the team, and you know, obviously, you know this team as well as I do. Um, they would have found a way to lose this, um, even if <laughs> they would have. We, we're talking about look, they should have won a premiership in this period. That we would probably still be sitting here with this podcast going, oh, you know, that terrible 2016 grand final we lost to the Sharks or whatever, or that 2017 time when we, you know. There's, there's always going to be something. And we see that would have been the curse, right? Is that it would have been all about Parramatta's time, this and that, and yeah. we would have like choked again. Yeah, and that would have been the and that would have been what it is. So I'm not going to award them any premierships in this time period. We're just going to say <laughs> that they would have been. This would have been a better season. 
Um, and fair enough, it would have been a lot better season if we made finals and we made it into the top four after the the absolute shit we've gone through for the years before that. Um, it would have been really great. Like, like it was in 2017, it was really great. And, you know, we, we were probably a pretty dodgy, you know, non-check of a video ref call in 2017 from being in a prelim. And, um, you know, like in some pretty terrible second week syndrome um, yeah. for that one. And, and then, yeah, obviously, you know, it just kept going on and on. You know, it doesn't matter what season is, it just keeps going on and on. So, look, let's hope... Let's hope that by the time this podcast comes out, which will be deeper to the finals, we're still alive. Um, and, you know, maybe the unthinkable can happen this year, but look, I'm not holding out my breath right now. No, neither am I. I'll, um, <laughs> I'll, take, the, I'll take beating Melbourne twice in the same year. Um, not bad. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not holding my breath. Maybe, maybe until uh, the, the final minutes of a preliminary final if we're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've... <laughs> I've actually said to some a few people on um, on Twitter. I think it might have been might have been Mary Kay actually was doing the the thing, and they I think that someone said, um, "When will you believe that that Parramatta can win a grand final?" and and I think a few people were saying, "Oh, you know, we're up by this much, with so much so much left to go, and stuff like that." And my response was, "When we're playing the World Club Challenge, um, I believe <laughs> that we've won the grand final." I think I'm the same. I could never. Just won't uh, believe it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think because um, I'm a Liverpool supporter as well, and mm. we had 30 years of waiting for a title, and you know the 2019-20 season, and we're you know 20 something points ahead yeah. of second place. Yeah, and we're going. Oh, how do we screw this up? That was my feeling the entire time. And then the season gets suspended, and we're we're technically like one point. Or, or or four points away from the title, yeah. and everyone's talking. Oh, null and void! You can't give them the title yet. And I'm like, <laughs> no, this isn't how this ends. And then I did not feel relief until because you know, even when we're 18 points ahead, I'm thinking we could screw this up. Yeah, we could collapse in a heap. There could be a couple of injuries. It could finish, you know, in a in a in a blaze of of a car crash of a of a season. And that's the way I feel about Parramatta. Still, uh, so you do what I do. You pick you pick teams from around in other sports, and I don't know how you became a, a Liverpool supporter, but you, you obviously I seem to seek them out as well. You know, pretty much every team in any professional sport thing that I I show any allegiance to outside of Parramatta is is very much like them, and um, you know, like it, my my English Super League team is Warrington. Um, they haven't won something since nineteen fifty odd, um, and you know, I I really liked in the NFL. I, I used to, I went around a few teams and I went, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And I kind of liked you know Green Bay for a while and because I liked the colours and stuff. And then I don't know what it was. It was something about the Arizona Cardinals when I really really liked oh. them. Yeah, yeah. I landed on the Packers about four years before they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, so I got I got a bit lucky there. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people like the Packers, and I think that was because of the whole Brett Favre stuff, and you know, like and just the, and I think that was I th- I, I liked them because of the colours, and I thought uh, they same were really here. Cool. You know, I, I I didn't know much about NFL, hardly knew who Brett Favre was, um, but green and gold. And I went, oh well, I'm Australian. Yeah, there's a green and gold team because I could very, very easily have ended up following Jacksonville or or the LA, or the um. The, the St. Louis Rams because they had blue and gold and I'm yeah. so glad I didn't end up with them. <laughs> yeah, and that, the, the stupid thing about it is that I actually spent, 
I remember that the NFL started coming on on like the free to air television, and I'd I'd watch the, like a tape and watch them because I, I I always liked the NFL, but I never really had a team. And then I started watching them a few years ago, and it was I can't remember which years it was. And I went at the start of each season, I went, oh, I really like this team. I might just follow them this year. I kind of did that where I'd follow them for a few years. And the funny thing is that the every team I went, I really like this team. I'll follow them. They all won the Super Bowl like three or four years in a row. But can and, you follow the Packers this year, please? Because we've, we've made. <laughs> but the... I stopped. I stopped doing it. <laughs> so what I did is I went, no, no, you can't do that. You got to pick a team and go with them. You just got to do it. And I went, look, who am I going to pick? And I looked at all of them and I went, which one speaks more to me than any others? And for some reason, it was like the little battlers. You know, they they're out they're out in the west. Um, they haven't won anything for a long time. And I went, you know, and they they get close and they don't quite get there. And I thought that's Parramatta. That's my Parramatta team. I'm going to follow them. And you know what? They acted just like Parramatta for the last three or four years. They got really close. They got within. They got in basically into a championship game. They should have won, and they played like absolute crap and lost the championship game. And then the week after, the team that they had played, which was the Panthers, Carolina Panthers, who had played an excellent game against them in the championship game, played like absolute shit in the Super Bowl and and got beaten. And I sitting there going. If this team had played better the week before, they would have been in the Super Bowl, and I think they would have won it because I think they were better than both those teams. But you know, it's it's the same thing again. It's you know, we pick we pick what we like, and obviously I like pain, so I like to pick teams that put me through a lot of pain. Yeah, my wife asked me why why I follow why I follow Parramatta <laughs> and why I've stuck with it because she just just leaves me now on on game day when the the game's about to start. She's just yeah. like you. you you t- like I pretty much don't sit down. <laughs> so I'm too nervous. <laughs> there's no right. rela- there's no relaxation watching Parramatta play. <laughs> no, there's never. There's like I, I said, there's never a way of getting around it. But but we can't quit them because they're our team. Exactly. And uh, against Melbourne, we led by 12 points, and there's 15 minutes to go. I went, oh, I'm not comfortable here. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with five minutes to go. It wasn't till the last two minutes ticked over. I kind of went, oh, we've beaten yep. them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was when we were up by six. I was like, they're playing really well, and I'm like, you got to score. Like, it, it, it's funny watching. I, I think one day um, I should record myself doing it because it's quite funny. And because apparently I I lean different. I lean the way that I want Parramatta, to, like I want the ball to go. Um, so <laughs> I end up like halfway. I end up at 45 degrees towards whichever way Parramatta's running most of the time. Um, but it you'll get to a point and it'll be like. Like there'll be an error. It was like in a Melbourne error or something, and and I'll just go. I just kind of mutter on my breath. Got to score, no para. Got to score. Like I, like I'm like I'm <laughs> telling the them they've got to do it. Like not not that they're not trying. Obviously they're trying yeah. to do it. But if I say it, then I think I can tell them what they're gonna do. It's like got to score now. Got to do it now. And it's like when I he- I hear myself say it, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, you moron? You're not even at the game. You're just sitting there watching them. When I was watching the game and it got into the last 10 minutes, I started working at how many, roughly how many sets each side had. Yeah. I'm like, okay, how many sets do they have? All right. If, if Melbourne score, how long do they have to, to kick the yeah, ball on the time spot? And yeah. how much do we eat off the clock? And, you know, how many sets do we have to defend before we're safe? And then I worked it out in the last five minutes. I kind of went, well, if we defend two more sets, we've won the game. Yeah. And, and we're just going to hold the ball. Yeah. And, and then they started offloading the ball. I went, no, <laughs> hold the ball. <laughs> I know, but you know what? It was, it was something that I don't think I've I've been. I mean, I've I've seen. I'm too young to to remember the grand final win, the last one. Like I was six, so I don't remember it. But 
you know, it's what I've I've seen a lot of highs and lows in this team, and that's even though it was just one game, it was really it was amazing just the reaction because because of how badly they've been playing and this was not expected and you know like basically they broke they broke a run of of this team you know they they stopped someone from breaking a an all time record by winning this game and it's like well you know that's a big achievement you're never going to get i don't think this team will ever get to do that again so mm. you know what i mean it, it's amazing as a it was sort of an amazing thing to do and and i think that's why everyone reacted so so well to it and I mean, this is going to date this podcast because by the time this gets released, yeah, yeah we could probably, have just crashed out the finals. We probably again. crashed out straight sets out of the finals, and we've probably gone into week one and lost in week one. But who knows? We might be. I might be releasing this, and it might be you know the week before, week for a prelim or something, and we're like, yeah, you know, we're doing really uh, well. You know, if a week before a prelim, and if it wasn't locked down, the entire city would be covered in blue and gold. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. I think I think we've pretty much gone through it. We've we've journeyed a bit further forward than 2016. Yep. But uh, look, I I think if this if this season hadn't have gone the way it, it goes, like you said, there's a lot of things that a lot of things that fall, a lot of dominoes that happen after this. So, I don't know. Like, if Kieran Foran doesn't go down, and if Kieran Foran plays out his two years at Paramount at, at 16 and 17, and is successful, and Corey Norman's successful as well. Then I think both of them get re-signed, and I don't think we ever look into Mitchell Moses, and he probably I don't know if he stays at the Tigers or whatever happens to him, um, and I think that's a bit of a shame for him because I think part of his problem was he him and Luke Brooks didn't work together, and and Moses really wasn't getting the support he needed at the Tigers, and it really needed to, to come to Parramatta to to become a better player, and and I, I don't care what people say about him, I still think he is like an excellent halfback, and I think. You know, he is one of the one of the better three or four halfbacks, whatever you want to say, mm. um, in the competition. So that would have been a shame that that wouldn't have happened. But it would have been great to see Corey Norman reach some potential. That would have been fantastic. Um, I don't know if he would have had the same downward spiral that he did have after after this season happened. Um, if Nathan Peets played, you know what I mean? Maybe some origin games for Nathan Peets. Maybe he, he goes to a... <laughs> A number 13 role or something this mm, it would have been interesting had he stuck around how the development of reed marnie would have gone yeah because reed was basically debuted two years later out of desperation because because kaiser had been injured mm-hmm. um i think cameron king had been injured yeah uh, we had we had no one and so we just debuted reed and and he, he's he's been there ever since yeah exactly um, so, so there could have been some negatives that came out too some positive and negatives so it's a bit no a bit hard to know i I'm obviously not thinking that this team is, you know, was was going to win a grand final in 16 or 17 or whatever. But I think it would have been a lot. We would have felt a lot better about it than what we what we did feel about this season. So yeah. I think the car crash of 2018 probably gets avoided. To, yes. to be honest, yeah, probably. You know that. I mean, I still, as a Parramatta fan, I still blame 2018 on on the hot weather at the start of the season. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, seriously, those those we played we played two games in a row that were incredibly hot weather, and that game against Manly I think broke them because it's 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 pretty silly to say, but there's a there's a point in that game and I think it might be um, I can't remember who it was. It was one of the front rowers, but we he got the ball kicked off, and I think it might have been it might have been Kane Evans trying to throw a pass. And he tries to throw it to one of his front row, his front row partner, 
and the ball's terrible. He drops it and whatever, and they and Manly go and, and score, and then they end up putting a score on us. But if the pass hits his hands, the guy's through a gap, and we probably go down the other end and we probably score, and that game's completely different complexion. So, you know, like, things like that happen as well. But, you know, it, it, it's, it felt like at the start of 2018, we had, we had no semi anymore. We had no punch out of the back. Um, we lost the first two games, and it was, I don't know, I don't know if you remember, it was incredibly hot. And it looked like by the time they got to round three and four and stuff, they just had no energy left. And then yeah, they, just, they looked cooked. And then it was just like loss after loss after loss, and we weren't even sure if they were ever going to be able to win a game. So you know, like it, um, if if well, a few things go their way early in that season, they they jag a win or two. It probably doesn't end up as a shit show. It probably ends up as like a you know finishing twelfth or something like that. That's another yeah, mediocre season. Mediocre season. But yeah, so, I think yeah. twenty sixteen. What happens there? Um, no one helps their 2017 season because the the, the, the club's very together mm. um, and the players are very around each other. But then the inability to, to recruit and um, some of the short-sighted decisions following, um, I mean, one, not having a board mm. um, and, and two, not having um, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, your plan gets blown up. Um, and then the 2017 season kind of papers over those cracks so you don't worry about it, you think it's fine. Yeah. And then the wheels fall off in 2018, you have to go back to the drawing board and and, and kind of start from scratch. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and like I said, so we've had, I mean, obviously 16 is a terrible season for the, for the things that happened, but maybe not for the results on the field. They weren't too bad. Um, 18 is terrible for the results on the field. But, I mean, right up to up to 2016 from from pretty much from 2010 to 16 you know there weren't many good seasons so you know like there were some okay seasons but i still remember thinking in 2016 we were we were desperate to just play a finals game because we hadn't done it since 2009 and it was like oh this finals drought because at that point we had the longest finals drought so Mm. um you know that was a, a big problem and that's why no matter what people say this season about, you know, Brad Arthur and I'll oh, know we're only just going to finish and we may only get to week two of the finals again, I'd still prefer to be in week two of the finals than those seven years that we spent not being able to make the finals. A hundred percent. You know, when, whenever, you know, I I don't know if Brad is the man to win a premiership, but whenever people go, oh, you know, um, you know, what else, what else could we do? I kind of go, well, you could be doing a lot worse than finishing in the top eight. You know, yeah, you could be one of those teams that's that's. I mean, even when, even now, you know, having the the luxury of going well, we've qualified a couple of weeks ago, and we can rotate players yep. at the back yep. end of the season. That's right. Um, to have no pressure at the end of the year is actually quite a nice feeling. Um, going into the finals, and then finals are a different pressure. But, um, you know, when you look back on 2016 and go, I remember they had that desperate feeling of wanting to play finals, yes. and when the points go, you go, well, there, there kind of goes that that dream and we're waiting another year. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, particularly so far out from the finals too, half yeah. a season. And like you said before, with, with Brad Arthur, if, if 2016 doesn't happen the same way, if it's just a, a reasonably successful season, you know, if there is, I mean, I, you were saying well, maybe 18 doesn't fall apart as well, but if there's any season beyond, you know, 19, 2020, any of those ones where maybe they don't perform as well, maybe this team has a bit of a lull, then... You know, maybe Brad Arthur's not still the coach, if you know what I mean. So, because he, he yeah. does build up a lot of 
a lot of capital and a lot of respect yeah. from what happened to that season. I, I think that was brought up at the end of 2018 when they had the football review mm. and they said, uh, I think there was something about basically Brad being able to hold the team together in 2016 and keep them competitive mm. and then make the finals the following year is basically what saved his job because very few coaches survive a, a bottom out season like that. And the only other coach to survive anything like that was Trent Robinson in, mm. uh, in 2016 when they finished second last mm. Um, and obviously he survived because he's a premiership winning coach. And, and two years later, their their decision yeah. to retain him was justified. Exactly. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, the 2016 season for Brad, yeah, if if 2016 doesn't happen and 2018 still a car crash, hmm. um, then he probably loses his job because the club can't look at him and go, okay, you got us finals last year, but, um, you know, this is now all on you. I think um, his ability to keep the team together um, – and, and it pretty much improved them the following year on with, with almost no ability to recruit. When you think about it, the, the salary cap cruel recruitment for 2017 yeah. and 2018, um, you know, is is a, is a testament to his not only his his coaching ability, I think, but also his his ability to manage a, a squad under a lot of pressure. That's right. Well, um, thanks for that, Elliot. I'll, I think we'll leave it at that point because yep. uh, otherwise this could be another four-hour conversation just about the whole history of Parramatta. Um, yep. <laughs> we'll we'll leave that one for for another podcast. But um, thanks very much for for reaching out to me and um, and suggesting this one. And and it certainly is an interesting thing. I think for for all fans, maybe not just Parramatta fans, that you know everything can go wrong, and then you know you can turn it around within a season. So I, I think that was that was really positive and it's a in a way became a positive for Parramatta this season, even though at the time, you know, we all thought it was the worst thing that had happened. Yep, yep, exactly. No, thanks for having me on, mate.